I wonder anybody have anything on their heart tonight that you feel like you need to say or do for the Lord in any way. you have your Bibles and would turn with us tonight, let's go back to Second Chronicles. And it's where we were at Sunday night. <clears throat> Not hardly able to get away from this passage of Scripture and the thought that we had. and Need to look at it again. I, I'm sure every man of God, after preaching a message, after trying to preach a message, and he looks back at it, uh, there's so much more, so much more that could be been dug out and looked at. Uh, but in Hezekiah, the in Second Chronicles, uh, thirty and thirty-one. I guess we'll look at some. I've got some other scripture that we've got marked, and uh, just to look at this, you you stop and you look at Hezekiah's life, and when he began to be king and all that he did all that he was able to accomplish, and he had a great prophet with him. He had Isaiah the prophet, and he was a, he was a, he was a major prophet. And, and what's so disturbing, and it, it's made me ponder a, a, a bunch this week. You know, it, it's not recorded in the Word of God, but we know by history that Hezekiah's son, was the one who slew Isaiah, the prophet. History has it that he had him sawn in two. Now, there's no biblical place that you'll find this that's to the best of my knowledge, but uh, history has it that way. And after having such 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 a king and such a prophet in the land, and then for it to happen in that direction, you know, I believe it would be much like uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's son, who toasted the gods of gold and of silver, and he had seen what had happened to his father when his father mocked God. He seen what happened to him, and, and Hezekiah's uh, son, without a doubt, seen God's blessings upon Israel through and by his dad. But yet he still went and did that. He he was not a good king. And it's, it, 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 it's, it's hurtful sometimes when you see people that have got a golden opportunity. I mean a golden opportunity, and it's just squandered. It's just squandered. And thinking that they've achieved some great things in this world and they've eternally separated themselves from God. Well, I tell you, it, 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 it's, it's hard for... It's hard for my mind to wrap around it. Now, I do understand this part. I understand the wickedness of our flesh. And I, I've got some scripture over here marked that we quoted some and even looked at some Sunday night. Uh, but when you stop, and I, I don't know if you went back and read about Hezekiah after Sunday night and, and, and all that he had done, it was amazing at how at how good of a king he was he he went to he went to the church if you will to the to to the temple first and the doors were messed up the doors were broken down and he set it in order that the doors get fixed right and then he went into the priest and they they they, they began to, to 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 clean up the house of god and that's what they did and and they done it to such a degree that 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 they 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 now got everything cleaned up. They've now got everything taken care of, and and now it's it's time for service. So they sent out a message to everybody. It'd been a long time since they'd had service. So they sent service out. They sent a message out to everybody, uh, if you will, a poll to speak to everybody, and the tribes of Ephraim and Manassas, I think it was, 
that uh, they, uh, they, they just laughed them to scorn. Uh, the post passed from city to city throughout Ephraim and Manassas unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. That's in the 10th verse of the 30th chapter. They laughed them to scorn. Now, listen, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty audacious. I heard a man just this past week, I heard a man uh, uh, make some very uh, uh, outlandish comments concerning Jesus and and God in the church, and, and and what's amazing is this man's not in good health anyway, and within a forty-eight hour period of that time, this man's looking at pneumonia. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I would be very careful at how I spoke about God's people in God's house and God in His Word. In, in, in this generation we live in, there's no shame, there's no fear. The audacity of sin has grown to such a degree, I fear we can't can't comprehend it. As we look at this, there's a part that Hezekiah did, and this was even toward them of Ephraim and Manassas. It's in the 30th chapter, in the 18th and 19th verse. Now they've cleaned up the house, they've took in the offerings, and they brought so much, they had to build rooms to bring in the offerings because... The stores at the house of God of all the gifts, it was, it was in such a multitude that they had to build rooms, if you will, to, to, to store it all in. And he even put men over it to keep track of it. But now it's time for sacrifice, and they're sacrificing. And, and I want you to notice this king. And, and I, I wonder, could my heart be, could my heart be toward the people of God as this king's heart was? I, I would like to pray that it would be. But notice what he did there. Remember, the tribes of Ephraim and Manassas laughed him to scorn. This is in the 30th chapter, and and this is the 18th, 19th, and 20th verse. Listen to this. For the multitude of the people, even from Ephraim and Manassas, Iskar and Zeppelin, did not cleanse themselves, yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them saying, The good Lord pardon every one that, per, that prepareth his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary, and the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. You talk about an example of grace and mercy coming from a king. Now these people did not go through the processes, if you will, of the law for cleansing themselves and sanctifying themselves. If you go back into the Old Testament and you read and you study how it was that God had required people to sanctify themselves, how it was that God required a cleansing to come upon them. Most of the time, most every one of these ordinances required that you didn't come in contact with any unclean for seven days. You had to not partake of any unclean food. You were to not do anything of partaking of food without doing it according to the law by washing your hands. And my friend, it was such a strict, uh, a secluded life, if you will, uh, to get to this place of purification. That was a minimum of seven days that you would have to go through for this purification process. And then after that, you, then you could go into the house of God. You couldn't even go to the house of God unless that had taken place. But my friend, once that took place, and then you went down to the house of God, and then, my friend, you could, if you will, be in the place to offer a sacrifice. But as it is in our days, as it was in those days, people want to live like the devil, and then come down to the house of God ready to sacrifice. And we all know that it doesn't work that way. And, and, and here's where I want to get at for a while, if I can. It, 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 it was amazing to me how that Hezekiah, he had, he had done all these things right. He had done all of these things in the right order. And now, friend, and I can promise you, we're gonna, we'll get to what happened to him, uh, that the enemy coming, he had done all of these things right. And there were some of them of the house of God who made light of what he was doing. 
Who laughed at him? Who laughed at the work of the priests? Who made fun of what they were doing? And then when it comes time for the sacrifices, here they come. And what does he do? He prays for them. Boy, I tell you what, could our heart get to the place that we would be willing to pray for everyone that's here that they might partake, that they might partake in the service of sacrifice. And that's what his heart's desire was. It it wasn't that they were there because they were already there. It wasn't that they would come to the house of God. They were at the house of God. But it was that they might be able to partake, partake of the sacrifices. So what did he do? He prayed for them. And he said, the good Lord pardon thee. And God heard his prayer. Church, let me tell you something. You talk about the love of God covering a multitude of sin. I tell you, the love of God will cover a multitude of sin. And that's not just in my individual life, but it's in, 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 in our lives as we see one another. My sin's no bigger than David's, and David is no bigger than mine. And I can go all over the house and it would be the same. If it weren't for the prayer of the king, we'd all been consumed. If it wasn't for the prayer of Christ, for our lives, we would have already been dead and in hell. But God, who's rich in mercy, dear friend, has loved us. We, we, we ought to have this heart of gratefulness. We ought to have a desire, my friend, of thanksgiving and praise to Him that sanctified us that had prayed for us that we might be able to partake of the sacrifice. It ought to stir us up. It ought to make us glad that God would love us enough to pray for us to this end. Hezekiah, my goodness, what a king. What a king he was. I don't understand some of his latter days that we've read in other places, but that's okay. I promise you that when we get through tonight, there'll still be more here that we can ever get to. But, but this man had done things right and he, after he had done things right, after things were set in order, here truly comes the enemy. Here comes the kings of this world wanting to take the things that belong to God. Chiefly the people, chiefly the possessions. Now is that not the way it is today? I promise you, friend, if you yoke up with this world and run to the four winds with them, they're never going to ask you about coming to church. They're never going to ask you about, my friend, what you owe to God. None of that will come up. But as soon as it is in your heart and your life that your, your very existence in this world gets dedicated, my friend, gets sanctified to come into the very tabernacle of God and partake of the sacrifices as soon as worship starts to take place in your life, the world's going to come after you. It's going to happen. It'll start right off in your mind. And what's it trying to do? It's the kings of this world trying to capture the things of God. And who has the things of God but the people of God? He said, let this mind which is in Christ Jesus be in you also. What a possession. What, what a treasure. And my friend, to be able to have the mind of Christ. To be able to look with eyes that one time, and my friend was shaping in iniquity, I conceived in sin, but God is able to give us an outlook of love and compassion. What a treasure God has given us. And the world wants it. He don't want you looking at the Word of God. He wants you looking toward the fair plains of Sodom. He don't want your mind to be stayed upon the Lord. He wants your mind to be over here in the ditch and over there in the ditch. The kings of this world will come after the things of God. Especially when the things of God get dedicated unto God. Now they are those who frequent the house of God. And they go through the forms and the fashion, but they're not sanctified. They're not dedicated. They're not really interested in worshiping. And it doesn't happen in their lives that often. They try to jump on the bandwagon when somebody else worships. But as far as for they themselves, individually being able to stand in the congregation of the righteous and say, thank you God that you allowed me to sit in the very congregation of the righteous and your powers filled my soul. It doesn't happen. They're superficial professors. They're not real possessors of a new life, of the indwelling power of God. But what they have my friend, is a religious ideology of what they do, that God is now a means. He's not their glorious end. He's their means. 
he, he, he's like this, if you will. Uh, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do this so that God will do this for me. I see a lot of superstitious religion in my day. Friend, let me tell you something. You could pay double your tithes. You could pay double your tithes. You could double your prayer time, double your read time. It's not going to merit you anything with God. You're never going to earn the least of His favor. You're never going to find yourself in deserving of anything that's going to benefit your flesh. These people, they truly pay God, be, uh, pay their tithes so they think that's going to pay their bills. My Lord in heaven. Friend, understand something. God's not after your money. He's after your heart. And if God's got your heart, I promise you, He's already got your money. But, 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 but it's sad people will think they pay their tithes and then this will be paid. That's not the way it works. But the way it works is a heart dedicated unto God. This is what I owe you. It's the minimum. In all honesty, he deserves the 90. We ought to get the 10. I had some pastor friends of mine told me they, they were floored. They were shocked. They were flabbergasted at the offerings that came in after being out of church for so many months. I had to confess to my thoughts and myself, I've never seen a child of God that didn't tithe. I never have seen a child of God that didn't tithe. Well, what are you saying, preacher? Because I don't tithe, I'm not a child of God. That's up that's between you and God. But I can promise you this, it's a minimum for me. And I've never run into a child of God that didn't tithe. Well, that's Old Testament. You still teach your children the Ten Commandments. That's Old Testament. Yeah, a tithe ought to be the minimum we give. But you see, here's where we get into the place of superficial professors and true possessors. There's a natural instinct for a child of God and there's a natural instinct for a child of the world. And you cannot ever, my friend, expect the two to mix and mingle and ever come up with anything that's going to please God. I can assure you this, had Hezekiah been like his son, my friend, he would have never seen a sacrifice offered at the habitation of God at the temple. It had never happened. Now, did this young man know about God? Yes, he did. But what did this young man do with the man of God? He sawed him asunder. These people, if you will, they've taken the Word of God and it's been a benefit to them when they need it in their lives, but as far as their lives dedicated to God, it's never occurred. Please understand this. The Bible teaches us, if I'm not mistaken, in the book of Proverbs, that time and chance happeneth to all. God is not my means, but He is my glorious end. And our world today believes that unless you're progressing and prospering, then you're not doing the work of God. Paul warned Timothy against them who called gain godliness. That's not true. It's not right. Gain is not godliness, especially gain of this world. But I can promise you what is godliness. Faith, hope, charity, love, the fruits of the Spirit. These are godly. And when you have it in your heart to pray for them who have laughed at you, mocked at you, called it a scornful thing, and made it, if you will, your life a humiliation of your efforts for the kingdom of God and for the house of God, when those, my friend, have laughed, when you're able to pray for them, that they might partake Dear friend, I tell you what, the love of God is abounding in your heart. Please understand this King Hezekiah. This man was seriously seeking God. This man was seriously with his whole heart looking toward God for his guidance. And just as soon as God was guiding, my friend, worship began to take place. Here come the enemy. Please understand this. I believe as being a child of God, when God's chastening hand has been upon my life, I knew what was going on. When God has slowed me down, 
When God has reproved me by His Word. When God has reproved me through His Spirit. When God has reproved me through preaching. When God has reproved me in a reply of a saint. My friend, I promise you, I know when God has reproved me. But you know what? In the same sense as people serving God to get this and that God will do that, they'll gauge their religious life off the same means. Well, I'm pretty healthy. All my bills are paid. I must be doing something right. What a fallacy. Your faith is by sight. Your faith is not in things that are unseen. There's no evidence of things hoped for. Mark them when you see when you see such a thing, and when you're able to see them who are truly running, marching, enduring, seeking God by faith, and my friend, and God's Spirit comes by their life. Mark that one. That's a saint of God. This is a soldier of the cross. Do you remember when David was was run out of the kingdom? And Absalom was a king in his stead. And Absalom had promoted Joab's nephew or cousin above him. He was thrilled to have on the chief guard's garments. It's one of Joab's old clothes. And he was just lingering around. He wasn't serious about the king's business. David had sent him on a very important mission. And they were going after an enemy. And this little fellow was just running around. Joab killed him. He was playing the part. Dear God in heaven, in the days we live, children, let's don't be found just playing the part. But let's be found with a whole heart seeking God. Listen to what this man was able to say. In the 31st chapter, 20 and 21, And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. My goodness, what a statement. And then he said, And in every good work, in every work that he began, in the service of the house of God, and in the law, and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. It's one thing to prosper in this world, but are we prospering in the word of God? Am I prospering in, in, in growing in the grace of God? Now, what is the grace of God? And are we growing in it? And Paul, by the word of God, has charged us in several places, grow in the grace. Stop for just a minute. Do we really grow in the grace? Think about this for just a moment. You've heard our definition that we like to use of grace. It's not one made up. Uh, my friend, it's a very uh, profound definition, but it's godly, God's divine influence. God in His knowledge and wisdom and power influencing our heart. Amen. He's able. He's able to influence us. And it's, this is grace. God's influence upon our heart reflected in our lives. Now are we growing in this? I tell you, it, it, it causes me to take a, a very close self-examination. At Michael, you're really growing in the grace of God. If we say, well, I think God thinks this toward me, and these are just our thoughts that are never spoken, we just say them to ourselves, what are we doing about it? I ought to grow in this grace. Now, I understand something. This, this says several, let, let, let me rightly divide, this says several things here, listen to this. He says in the 21st verse, and in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, now let's look at these every works, okay? He says, in the law and in the commandments to seek His God. So now He's seeking God in the law and in the commandments in every work. He's prospering. He's getting better at it. You can't change the work of God because it is what it is. That's what, the, that's what the, the tabernacle was. It was a said, set ceremony. And there was no deviating from it. So he was prospering in that. He was getting better at it. Why? Because his heart was applied to it. I like to shoot a bow and arrow. 
I really like to shoot instinctively with a longbow. And it's just a matter of point and pull and let go. And, and it's something that's done. But the only way you can get good at that is you're going to have to practice it. And you're going to have to be serious about it when you do. Because this is what happens. Listen to me. Maybe you can apply this to your life in church. You can develop some bad habits. And when you develop a bad habit, and my friend, your body begins to like that habit, to where that you, you're not concentrating as you ought to concentrate about where you want that arrow to go. How you, you, you don't see it in its flight in your mind. How you just think it's time to shoot, so there's me something to shoot at. You just get and you miss. But if you're serious about what you're going to shoot and you're looking right at it and automatically in your mind you see the flight of your arrow of how it's supposed to go, that there's nothing in the way high or low and you can pull back and you can hit what you're aiming at. But if you start developing some bad habits, you're going to waste your time. You're going to ruin your equipment. You're going to miss, lose, hurt. Now listen to me. My friend, whether you realize it or not, but complacency will creep into our religious lives. And the next thing you know, we have developed some bad habits. And it's just a form and a fashion, and there's no power of God about it. What is, I believe, one of the first things that brings this complacency to us, and my friend, this complacency to us, is when our whole heart is not in the service of God. Because why? We'll start considering men's persons. Listen to me real close. We don't matter. Sister Betty, I love you. You're dear to me. As innocent as a driven snow, I love you. But our persons, it ain't about our persons. But it's about the power of God in us. And I could leave off from her and go to Shorty, go all over the house. It ain't about us as a person. But it is about the power of God that lives in us. Why, preacher? Because that same power of God that lives in us is able to save our people. Without complacency will creep in and we're just going through the motions. Hezekiah was not going through the motions. Hezekiah's heart was fully toward the house of God. Listen to this. He says, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. Now remember, now remember, that was a set service. That was a set ordained ceremony. The only way that you could get better at it is that you do it more often with your heart in it. If there was ever a place for mundane routine to be set in, it would have been that. But God has called us, my friend, by the liberty of His Spirit out and underneath the commandments of the law. And my friend, and the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. <laughs> How do we get good at that? Where do we prosper at it? By being led of His Spirit. They that are led of the Spirit are the sons of God indeed. Friend, this man's whole heart was to seek after God. And my friend, just as soon as his house was in order, just as soon as the house of God was in order, just as soon as sacrifices began to take place, and all the children of Israel were there, even them that had mocked and made fun of him, and my friend, and he prayed that God would, and my friend, sanctify him and forgive him, and God heard the prayer of the king. Worship began to take place. Here comes the enemy. I wonder... I wonder, has the enemy really knocked at the door of our lives? Or has time and chance just happened to all? We live in a land of plenty. We live in a land, it's time to put up stuff. We've got beans to put up. We've got all kinds of fruit to put up this year. We, we, we hope to put up a whole lot, Lord willing, tomatoes, all the stuff we normally do. But still, yet, yeah, there's lots of food at my house. We live in a land of plenty. Complacency is set in. Most of the time we're wondering what we're going to do with this life that we're living. To occupy days on a calendar 
Will I be able to go and do this? Can I go and do that? My God in heaven, the fields of God are white and the harvest. Who in the world's willing to go work? As soon as I get done with this preacher, I will. No, no, you won't. You know what you'll do? You'll go find something else to do with your life. And it happens. It happens to us all. And the only way, the only way, the only way that it can change is that the whole heart's got to go toward God. Remember what we said about the tithe and the offering? And sadly, there's lots of people that you know that attend church and they do not tithe. They do not tithe. This ought to be a red flag indicator. Why is my heart not set to tithe? It's a simple factor. Friend, I can promise you, if your heart is not set set to tithe and give God that that's God's, if you're not doing it in the pocketbook, it means the heart's not right. I'm not after your money. You can keep every dime. But I just, God forbid you, you you think you're going down the road to glory, you're going to wake up in hell. Preacher, that's just too hard. God knows my needs. Yes, He does. Yes, He does. And He said what? I'll supply your every need. But you know what happens? We don't tithe because we're trusting in the arm of the flesh to supply our every need. That goes back to the two he's. Look right here for just a moment. I think in Galatians 6, for he, right here, be not deceived, God's not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. They are people, shamefully, they really believe that they've been sowing unto God. But there is no spiritual fruit that's ever come up in their life that God said, hey, that's mine. So now listen, God's not mocked. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This is speaking of a man. Now listen on. He says, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Amen? No shadow of a doubt. I know this to be a factual, actual truth. Go on. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now he that soweth to his flesh, now notice what the Bible says, his flesh. He that soweth to his flesh. Now that's not saying down there he that soweth to his Spirit. That's saying that he that soweth to the Spirit. So you see, friend, it's a matter of whether or not we're sowing to our flesh or whether or not we're sowing to the Spirit. That's a capital S. That's the Holy Ghost. Are we working toward the Holy Ghost to move in our hearts? Or are we working to our flesh? To be sure, I've got to put this back for this bill and push that back for that bill, push that back for that bill. Let me ask you something. This is a good, honest, fair question for most all of us in here. When was the last time you sat down with your finances? You didn't have enough money to pay your bills. I know very well what that's like. I've seen it where I didn't have the money to pay what was to be paid. Especially after the tenth come out. Well, I'll pay it later. Worst thing I ever done. You can't pay it later. Dear friend, I can promise you this. If you're willing to take that that's God's and sow it to your flesh, you are not going to be sold to the Spirit. What are you saying, preacher? They are those that will call themselves Christians. They are those who call themselves born again, name in the Lamb's book of life, never been blotted out, a child of the King going to glory when they die. And they don't pay their tithes. I don't know why this keeps coming up, but I love you and I wouldn't dare hurt you. But it's a good... It, it, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't pry, I don't want to know. But it's something that's very common to you, you know, right off the bat. You can't take what's God's and sow it to your flesh and ask God to bless it. It don't work like that. It's the same way of those who says, well, I'm going to serve God for this and then God's going to fix that. Listen to me. 
find ourselves in the place of Job, though the skin worms devour this flesh, yet I seek God for myself and not another. It's about seeing the glory of God. Not what this flesh is God or what it don't have. My Lord, in heaven we came into this world naked, we're leaving naked. You ain't taking nothing with you. So know this. It's real simple. And don't, don't push it away. Don't mock at it. Don't be like the tribes of Ephraim and Manassas and laugh at, at what God's Word says. If you pay it, then you know you pay it. And it's a rejoicing to you. And to them that don't, that attend here, then church, listen to me. Let's pray that God will put it in their hearts to get things right with Him. Why, preacher? So that they can partake in the sacrifice with us. So that they can eat of the Word of God that we can see the grace of God growing them to the glory of God. It can happen. I get excited when I begin to think of what I could see God doing this hard and that hard and that hard and that hard. And it just thrills me. How do you know, preacher? Because they're reaching got a ball of mud one day. It's called clay. And what you see standing before you looks nothing like what he reached in God. And nothing what it did to itself. But it was marred in the hand of the potter. And the potter made it to his own will and glory. Dear friend, let's pray. Let's believe God that God would cause that heart to realize what is really owed to God. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap. Sowing to the Spirit, yes, but it also says that of the Spirit reap. That's not just in the world to come. That's in the present day we live. You can reap by the Spirit of God. Well, what do I reap? What do you sown? My friend, if you desire to love your brother with a greater love, sow that in the Spirit of a broken heart and a contrite spirit and ask God to perform it in this world that He might get to glory. Why? Because whenever the love of God has ever loved you, you knew that that was God in that person loving you. Oh, so Lord, help us to get to the place where we can see this accomplished. He says, Shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting and let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. What causes us to faint? The dark days we live in. The evil that's on every side. The fiery darts of the wicked. Wow. Speaking about the fiery darts of the wicked. In the book of Ephesians. The sixth chapter. It says... Finally, my brethren, 10th verse, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It looks to me like, my friend, that Hezekiah was getting the armor out. It kind of makes me think that Hezekiah was getting things set in order that he might be able to stand for God. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual wickedness, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. This spiritual wickedness in high places. Do you understand what this is? This is where that somebody says that they got something good in their life. They've got something that's high and something that's holy. But my friend, when you you go and you jerk the covers off of it, you find out that it's not high and holy, only in their mind and in their imagination, that they want to paint in the consciousness of others. But my friend, when the light of the glorious gospel of God begins to shine upon it, it's not righteous, it's not holy, but it's corrupt as hell. It's wickedness in high places. And the only thing that will take that out is the power of God. Listen on. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. 
And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Now we've took to us the whole armor of God. We've done all we can to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins guard about with truth. Wow. You talk about a house clean. You talk about something that's going to take a tremendous amount of self-examination. Am I standing in truth? Do I have any mixture of covetousness in my flesh? Does my carnal religious ideology have a hidden agenda behind the actions that I'm doing? Or am I standing in the pure truth of God? It'll take some soul searching. It'll take some very close self-examination. I have seen people with religious ideologies and you would have thought that they were, they were given the keys to Fort Knox. Well, I love you and I am not going to hurt you, but I will tell you what God told me to tell you. You would think that they were given by God the keys to Fort Knox and you've got to keep this. Let me tell you something. My friend, this is the house of God kept by God himself. There ain't nobody going in, that, my friend, that he does not want, that he has not called, that he has not chosen. I can promise you this. They are those who would sneak in some other way. They are those, my friend, that are in or think they're in and would throw somebody else out. You cannot negotiate the manifest of the children of God that's on the way to heaven. It's been written by the hand of God. Before the foundation of the world. Well, preacher, that's just too hard. I'm sp- I tell you what we're supposed to do. Well, didn't he say we're supposed to keep that that's been committed unto thy trust and thy faith? And you know what? Your flesh has got a hidden agenda. Because you think that I'm keeping this, and then it's a then it's a crown to my consciousness that I'm doing the holy thing of God. My dear friend in heaven. When David was on run for his life. Where did he find the only weapon to fight with? Where did he find it at? The house of God. What was it? It was the sword of Goliath. Wrapped in a cloth behind the ifpah. It was kept there by the priest. My friend, let me tell you something. We have an altar that this world cannot get to. God's already done the separating. I don't have to. God's already done the keeping. I just have to say amen to that that's his and I don't need to touch that that's not his. He's already done it. You talk about something to stand. You talk about, you, you, you talk about having your loins girt about with truth. Where did we get the truth that we say we have? Pilate asked Jesus, the Son of God, and my friend, the very uh, foundation and pillar and rock of truth, the church, asked Jesus, what is truth? You talk about blind on top of blind. And our world's full of them today. Stand. Therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now this breastplate of righteousness, it's right here. It's on the upper part of the body. It covers the most vital instruments for life to exist and sustain. And my friend, if having on this breastplate of righteousness, it will depict what army you're in. It will depict your position in the army. And my friend, it will conform and fit to you perfectly. And it's going to safeguard, listen to this, it's going to safeguard the very place of the treasure of God. Unless we're hiding in the righteousness of God, we have no righteousness of our own to stand on. And that's that we say in our heart, and my friend, that we have is exposed to the enemy. We better have on this breastplate of righteousness that came from God Himself. Outside of that, our most treasured possession is exposed to the enemy. And many times it is. Taken and robbed away. You can't leave, you can't get what God's given. That's the thing. There's a lot of people who say they've got God right down in here, and there's no God about what they have done in there. It's just religious teachings, traditions of their fathers. And it's sad. You know why? Because there's no reaping of the Spirit unto everlasting life. But let me run on. He says, Your feet shot no. The blessed plate of rising, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The preparation of the gospel of peace. The preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, 
The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel of peace is a, is a gospel of reconciliation where that God, my friend, through Christ and by Christ, and, and God doing that, reconciling the world unto Him. So as we are God's ministers in this world, and, and He has committed unto us the gospel, the message of reconciliation, be you therefore reconciled unto God, and my friend, through and by the gospel, God giving that, God ensuing that, and my friend, and he's saying, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Friend, let me tell you something. It's not a matter of how many that I can say that I won to God because I don't win them to God. And my friend, it's not how many you can say you won to God because you won them to God. It's not a matter of that, but it is a matter of this. When I see God's work accomplished here, may my feet be ready to run to this heart and be my friend the same to that person so as I was to that one. May I run through the fields of labor of God and my friend with my feet and where I go, oh God, lead me. And that only thing that would be on my mind is the conscious noble work and cause of my Savior that the gospel might reach somebody's life before it's everlasting too late. Heaven help us. I never thought we'd get into this this far tonight, but I told you there's more. Heaven help us. But listen on. We'll do our best to hurry. And above all, now this is above all, taking the shield of faith. Taking. Taking. That's not standing and waiting for it to be handed to you. But this is taking the shield of faith. Now a shield is usually placed in the non-dominant hand. Because the weapon of offense is usually placed in the dominant hand. Now this shield being in the non-dominant hand, yet my friend, it doesn't have to make any quick or direct precise movement because of the broadness of the shield. It is able, my friend, to move with quiet ease and cover up the extent amount of the body. Knowing this also that we already have on this blessed plate of righteousness. My friend, but this shield of faith. He said above all taking the shield. Listen to me very closely. Now Hezekiah had prepared everything and put it all in order. But there was a real king of this world knocking at the door. And he had to go see him. He even spoke their language. Kings of this world coming after the things of God. Speaking their language. There are lots of people today that inhabit the house of God and they can speak the language. But their flesh has got an agenda to rob away the treasures of God. This shield of faith. My dear friend, when those fiery darts are hurled, and if you have done all to stand, if your loins are girt about with truth, my friend, if your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel, you're going somewhere by the leadership of the Spirit. I can assure you there's some fiery darts coming your way. But you got a shield of faith. I know who commissioned me to this war. It was not my flesh. It wasn't religious rhetoric. I know that I got a call from yonder's world. Out of my never dying soul and commission my life to the gospel field. I know who sent me, who set the course and compass. And friend, when that shield of faith is able to rage against the fiery darts of the wicked, whether it's an enemy with a face black as coal or one just a shade of gray, think they're sliding under the wire, the shield of faith will work every time. I love that. <laughs> I've had them come up and say, Mike, I sure do love you, but I need to talk with you about something. It was, if you would, my friend, in my heart, I seen the shield of faith. What are you going to talk about? Well, preacher, you shouldn't say such thing. Let me tell you something. That devil that's out there in this world, his flesh black as coal, I ain't afraid of him. I tell you one you better watch. They sit on the pew of a service. They sat in the house of God continually. Oh, my friend, they've grown up around it. They've got indoctrination to the bone. And they're afraid that if they was to sell out what they say they believe in, what's this one going to say? 
What's that one going to think? My God in heaven, look what the Lord of glory sent to your soul. What does God take? That only shocks us to the bone. But that shield of faith, I tell you, it'll hold. It'll hold. Listen on. He says, Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all, not just a few, all the fiery darts of the wicked. And then he says, Take the helmet of salvation. I tell you what, blessed is man whose mind is stayed upon the Lord. My friend, may the helmet of salvation just absolutely lock this carnal mind into thinking about God always. May this helmet of salvation remind us every time we think about this old wicked crown that we've got that it's been covered by a helmet of salvation. I'm no longer my own. I've got a covering over my head. I'm not even to be recognized. I'm my friend by this world, by my old features. But when they see that helmet... They ought to be known, my friend, we're children of the Most High God. I tell you, when the Roman army marched out and they come before their enemies, the enemies didn't say, I wonder if that's the Romans. They dressed like that. They knew who it was. I tell you, may we have the mind of Christ in such a way they know who we are. Listen on. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. These people... Dig through the scriptures to justify the religious thinking. What a shame. What a shame. Well, preacher, I, I think I should dig through the scriptures to, to justify my religious thinking. I warned a young lady the other day. Now listen to me. You listen to me very closely. You know what you find when you come to the house of God? Think about what I'm telling you. Do you know what you find when you come to the house of God? Usually exactly what you're looking for. If you're looking for an opportunity of love, guess what you're going to find? An opportunity for love. You come in here with them feelings on your shoulder and say, now you just watch him. Watch him, he'll do it. Just watch him. You wait and see. And then you can't wait to get back outside and say, did you see him do this? Did you see him do that? Did you see her do that? You came and you found just exactly what you were looking for. And that's a shame and disgrace. My God in heaven, may we wake up before it is eternally too late. And all of this could be summed up in just a little bit. I'm going to try to, the Lord will let me. Praying always. With all, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, I'm going to end this message tonight by the help of God. Come to me a while ago. And it's just simple, and I promise you, I'm not after your money. You can bottom out my salary. I don't care. I don't preach for the money. Never have. But you can sum up this message tonight. And seal it for eternity in your soul with answering this one question. Real simple. Do you pay your tithes? Preacher, it's just not that simple. Because your God of your world told you that. Friend, I promise you, it's this simple. If we're willing to rob God of just 10%, I tell you what you're willing to do. You're willing to take the very life he gave you and sow to your flesh until you've reaped corruption on top of corruption on top of corruption. God, help us to realize where we're at with him in the word of God. I abundantly thank him for his help. I bless